Well, I want to, before we dive into 1 Samuel today, I want to tell you about a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, one of our core values here at First Baptist Friendswood is community impact. Uh, we want to uh, invest and bless and encourage uh, the people who live around us and work around us. And this past uh, week uh, on Monday, yes, because Tuesday was Turkey Bowl. On Monday, uh, our students went to the Houston Food Bank and uh, and served. What what a beautiful motley crew that is, and uh, they blessed uh, many people uh, by their service. And then I found out just sort of a word of mouth a little that that one of our Sunday school classes, and this is the beauty uh, of sort of the people of God. It doesn't have to be this centralized movement or anything. It can just be people desiring to make a difference uh, in the community. Uh, one of our Sunday school classes just sort of got together and said, hey, uh, we're going to bless our firefighters. And they took some snacks and things and went to the fire station uh, here in town and just blessed uh, some firefighters. What, what, what a great deal that is. Uh, and so I, I'm always excited to, to share those stories uh, of how God uses all of us uh, to bless others. We're going to hear more about that uh, in a moment uh, as we look uh, at this. Uh, but I also want to tell you that uh, there's a big thing coming. Uh, it comes. It happens every year uh, around this time. It's called Christmas. Uh, and uh, we love Christmas, but uh, starting next Sunday, uh, we have a series called The King of Promise. Uh, if you notice, we've been in 1 Samuel, and there's lots of talk about kings uh, in 1 Samuel, uh, but we're going to talk about the King of Kings, uh, the birth of Jesus, uh, and the message never changes every Christmas. It's always the same, uh, but you'll be excited about it, and we're looking forward uh, to that great series. If you're a college student, welcome home. We're glad you're here. Uh, hopefully, the weekend, uh, we'll pray for you uh, as you have the last two weeks of school and uh, finish strong, please, for the sake uh, of yourself and your family. Uh, and that'll be wonderful. Well, if you're in the, if you, if you've uh, been with us for the last few months, we've been in First Samuel. Today is the last day we're going to be in First Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 30. Uh, so if you got a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, David uh, and his men are kind of on the run. Uh, King Saul is still in charge, but not for long. Uh, and this passage uh, in 1 Samuel 30 really gives us a, a, a unique look at the difference between King Saul and David, who would eventually become king. Uh, and, and so we're going to read this story. And today uh, we sang a few songs about battles. And, and it's, it's interesting to me because in our Western uh, Christianity, uh, we don't have a lot of these kind of songs, the fight my battle type songs. Uh, most of our songs are about hope and he's our cornerstone and we have those kinds of songs. But uh, a few weeks ago, some of you know, I was in uh, Waco uh, for the Texas Baptist, uh, yay, Waco, uh, uh, the, 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 the Texas Baptist Convention. Uh, Waco is a wonderful place. Uh, it's a wonderful place. And and uh, I was there, and there was a, a, a church that led worship, a Filipino church that led worship, and their pastor had written a song, or written a worship song. And, and I, I shared afterwards with one of the other pastors there how it was a song very much about Jesus as kind of warrior, Jesus as conqueror, Jesus as the one who the enemies run from, how the darkness is afraid of, and this very bold and powerful song about Jesus who is this mighty warrior. And we, we don't 
often sing songs like that. Today we're doing so for a reason because the passage talks about God uh, fighting our battles. Uh, but, but God is a, a God of victory, the God who fights our battles, not against flesh and blood, not against each other, uh, but against the powers of the darkness. And, and today as we look at this passage, uh, it's great to put our hope in God himself that, that does fight our battles, that gives us victory, that offers us hope when we feel hopeless. Uh, and so if you're in 1 Samuel now, uh, look at chapter 30, verse 1. We're going to read the first few verses and then skip around a bit. It says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, this is a terrible scene here. David and his men had returned to this community of Ziklag after they had been unsuccessful in trying to negotiate with the Philistines, who were also enemies of Israel, for a little bit of safety, kind of a peace treaty, because, again, the king of Israel... The nation of Israel, the king of Israel, is after David. David is trying to find anybody he can to sort of protect him. He unsuccessfully negotiates with the Philistines, and so they go back to their community only to find it burned to the ground and all their family and their possessions gone. Can you imagine that? Now, for us, it might be hard to imagine Friendswood or League City or Pearland or Alvin like just totally burned to the ground. But think about your neighborhood. Think about your neighborhood where you live. What if your neighborhood, every home in your neighborhood was burned to the ground? Everything you owned and all your neighbors, all their stuff was taken. And only one of you was left. Everybody else got kidnapped. Can you imagine the collective anger and hurt and pain and agony? It's hard to even wrap our minds around that. Because we think about this as sort of, you know, th this is real. These are real kingdoms, real historical events. These Amalekites are bad people in the ancient world. And, and here David and his, these 600 families... Their lives have been destroyed in a moment. In a moment. Their town has been burned. 
by these Amalekites. And who are these Amalekites? Oh, by the way, it's the same people that Saul, King Saul, was supposed to completely destroy half a book earlier. He was supposed to completely destroy these people because they were enemies of God. And he chose not to do it. And so now, guess what? These enemies destroy this community. And they wreck the lives of these 600 families that were with David. The the good news in all of this is the families weren't killed. They were just captured. The bad news is everyone is angry and sad and hurt. They're, They're weeping until they have no more strength. That's not hard to imagine. And guess what? Everyone blames David. Everyone blames David. Our town is destroyed. All of our stuff is gone. Our families have been captured, and it's all your fault. So much so that they want to kill him. They want to stone him. And don't forget, David's place and his two wives are gone as well. So like he's in agony and pain and now every one of the people who is supposedly following him has now turned against him. And so perhaps for the first time in his life, David is at a crossroads. He's at an uncertain point. He's in a difficult time. He's hurt. And this passage, how David responds and what we see for the rest of chapter 30 highlights in a very simple, profound way the difference between David, the soon-to-be king, and King Saul and how they view not only who they are but who God is. Because the people, his men, they are bitter and angry. And they've allowed this bitterness to take root in their lives in this moment. And that bitterness has pushed them to want to kill their leader, the one who's led them all this way, the one who they know, they know is the soon-to-be king, the, the one who is going to be anointed king. They know who he is, but they've let bitterness take hold, and they're so angry, they're so hurt, they're so frustrated, they're so mad that they've let bitterness take root, and they want to kill their leader, David, because they see no other way. If you haven't learned this by now in your life, Let this be just a simple lesson that when you and I allow bitterness to take root, it will lead to destructive ideas and behaviors. When you and I let bitterness take hold, it will lead us down a path that we will not recover from. It's the old adage, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's what it does. And that's what's happening here with these men. And, and, and in some level, you and I can understand it. If all of your stuff has been burned, your family has been captured, you want to naturally blame someone. But notice how they don't blame the Amalekites, the actual people who do the terrible thing. Well, they blame the leader. They blame David. And they allow bitterness to take hold. And so don't let bitterness take hold. 
Because David in this moment is distressed. If you were here last Sunday, it's the same word that Saul uses when he's talking to Samuel who's come back from the dead. He said, I'm distressed. I'm at war with the Philistines and God's not listening. Those are the three things he said. That first word distressed is the same word here. When David says he's distressed, the same exact word. Saul was distressed. David is distressed. It's to be cramped, to be restricted, worried, to sort of be hampered, to be boxed in. That's how he feels. He's all alone. Maybe for the first time in his life since fleeing Saul. You remember when Saul tried to kill him twice, threw two spears at him. That's a good indication you need to leave. Somebody throws a spear at you, not once but twice. I would have left after the first time, but he waited. But for the first time in his life, everyone and everything seems to be against him. His men are against him. His family is gone. He couldn't negotiate with the Philistines. So perhaps like us, when things aren't going our way and we have a series of difficulties and frustrations, we have a, different, a series of failures, maybe he's thinking to himself, is God even with me anymore? Or am I just like Saul? God's left me. Maybe you feel that way sometimes when life isn't going quite the right way. You have a series of failures or rejections. And sometimes in those moments, we have a tendency to, to do one of two or three things. Sometimes we just walk away and say, I'm out, I'm done. And we just give up. That would have been easy for David to do is just sort of pack his bags and head on, let the men fend for themselves and not worry about his wives, just to be done. I, I'm, I'm out. God, I'm finished. I don't need you or anyone else. I'm done. Or maybe he could have done what probably most of us do. He could have blamed God. We're good at that. At least I know I am. We're, we're good at that. Blamed God for all these challenges and difficulties. Why did you let this happen, God? Don't you know I'm a man after your own heart? Don't you know, God, that I'm, I'm the one who's going to be king? And look what you've done. You've messed this whole thing up, God. He could have blamed the men. Like, why didn't a couple of you think to stay back? Like, it wouldn't take much. Like, God's on our side, so just a few of you to stay, we'd have been okay. He didn't blame his families. It, the family's like, hey guys, we're just a little ways down the road. You could have run quickly and warned us and we could have gotten back and saved the day. But he didn't do any of that, which is all the things that we do sometimes. No. In his distress, in his heartache, in his loneliness, in his frustration, he did the right thing which wasn't pull himself up by his own bootstraps and say, I'm a good Texan, Israelite, and I'm just going to make it happen because that's what we do. No, he didn't do that either. No, he turned to God. Second most important word in the Bible, I say it a lot. Verse 6, but David. 
strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He had a personal relationship with the Lord, and he had a heart devoted to the Lord. Unlike Saul, he turned his heart back to God because he knew God was his only place for strength and hope. He wasn't going to make a rash decision. He wasn't going to just lash out at the Amalekites. He wasn't going to retaliate against his own people. No, he was going to devote himself to the Lord. He was going to find strength from God. He didn't blame anyone. He didn't come up with 15 excuses on why it happened or didn't happen. No, he simply recognized that this is part of life. It's hard for us to understand in modern day suburbia, but war and battle and attacks from enemy nations and people were a part of life in the ancient world. It's part of life in the modern world as well, just not in Southeast Texas. And so he understood this is a hazard of life. This is a a difficulty of life. And now this is an opportunity for me to draw on the faithfulness of God. To draw on the faithfulness of God. You know, the book of Psalms is a a great parallel to the ups and downs of David's life. And and there's a Psalm 25 is is a unique psalm. It, It says this, it says, I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distresses. That, that word relieve is, a, is an important word. It, isn't that what you and I want sometimes is just relief? When, when life is hard and difficult, and, and like this word distress, you're cramped, like your stomach is in knots, your shoulders are tense, like you got a headache in the back here. You, you just want someone, you just want to be able to relax the stomach, relax the shoulders, take a deep breath, just for a moment in the midst of heartache and pain and agony and struggle. That's what David is praying. Just for a moment, Lord, let me find strength in you to experience relief. And so in this moment, David doesn't rely on himself. He doesn't take confidence in his own intellect or military power, right? Because David was a mighty fighter. He fought a lion and a bear, for crying out loud. He's a bad dude. But he, he didn't do any of that. He took his confidence in God. And he trusted God no matter the outcome. And so are you looking to lean into the faithfulness of God? in those difficult, hard moments? Are you looking to lean into the faithfulness of the one who can bring you strength? Let me encourage you this morning to look first to the one who never fails. We often look second, third, or fourth to the one who never fails. But I wanna encourage you to look first to the one who never fails. Lean into the faithfulness of God Because David used everything at his disposal to seek after the Lord. Unlike Saul, this is not an issue of battles and warrior and leadership. This is an issue of the heart. And, And David had a heart turned to God. 
And so the question you and I have to ask is, are our hearts turned towards the Lord? Are we seeking after Jesus as, as people of the New Testament? Do, do we lean in the, the strength and the power and the might and the hope of Christ, the peace that he offers? Are we trusting in ourselves and our intellect and our friends? We, we rallied our troops. Let me, let, me, let me get our collective intelligence together. And we'll figure this out. Have we trusted in ourselves? Have we um, asked our friends on Facebook, hey, any recommendations? We go to Planet Fitness or Gold's Gym and we want to get stronger. When the Lord is just simply calling us to lean into Him, to trust Him, to seek His direction. And so he does that. He calls on the Lord. He strengthens himself in the Lord. And God gives him a very clear directive. Go and take care of the Amalekites. Go and handle them. Remember, David is a great warrior. Go and take care of these guys. And so he takes these 600 men. And they start heading towards the Amalekites. And they get to a river 200 of them are exhausted. Remember, what did they do? They cried until they had no strength. You ever been there? Cried until you had no strength? Like you're just zapped. And then, oh, by the way, these guys are warriors. They're, they're soldiers. Now they have to carry armor and the whole nine yards all the way. And, and so they're exhausted emotionally, exhausted mentally, exhausted physically. And here they are ready for battle. So 200 of them, like, we got to stop. And when they stop, they find a young Egyptian slave who has been left for dead by the Amalekites. And this young Egyptian, he was sick. They didn't feed him. They didn't care for him. And so the Israelites take him in. They give him food. They care for him. They they. Help him gain his strength again. And there's just a little side note in this passage. We're not going to read that part, but let me just encourage you to help everyone you can. That's just a little side note for today. Help everyone you can. Now, this Egyptian ended up helping them because he told them where the Amalekites were, but not everyone you help can help you. And that's okay. Help everyone you can. And so let's see what happens After David finds out where the Amalekites are, he takes them down, he destroys them, he handles business, gets all their stuff back, gets all their families back, and he returns to the river where the 200 men are. Let's pick up the story in verse 21. David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. And who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David. That should tell you a little bit about David. There's some wicked and worthless people that he took with him. It's a great leader to take everybody with you, even if they're not on your team. Here's what they said. Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered 
except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down, for as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. And then verse 26, which we don't have, but I want to read it to you because it's important. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. That passage is important later on. And so David fights the Amalekites, he defeats them, gets everybody back, everyone, every family member, every piece of pottery, every item that belonged to the Israelites, he gets it back. That, that's a miracle in itself, that those dumb Amalekites didn't break something, right? They, they got everything. David's name, the name David is mentioned 25 times throughout this passage, which is strange. But it demonstrates the strength in which David had. It was almost as if David single-handedly destroyed the Amalekites. But where did his strength come from? Himself, his mighty warrior, his lion and bear killing skills? No, his strength came from the Lord. And so when they get back to the river, to the Besor River, the 200 men are thrilled, as you would be, right? If all of us lost members of our family and they came back, you would be jumping up and down. You'd be thrilled. You'd be running from a mile away, even after Thanksgiving lunch, right? You'd be running to meet your family, thrilled to death. And in the midst of the excitement and the joy and all that, you've got these yahoos here, these wicked and worthless fellows who are like, wait a minute, time out. We did all the work. You guys didn't do anything. You can have your family back. Oh, so generous of you. You can have your family back, but that's it. How terrible is that? And David says no. Not because David was the leader, not because David was in charge, no, because David reminded his own people how that battle was won. It wasn't because of their great strength, their military prowess, it wasn't because they had a sneak attack or even this Egyptian kid, no. Their battle was won, the victory is won because the Lord, the Lord preserved them. He gave the enemy into their hand. It was God's victory, not their victory. They didn't win the battle, the Lord did. God had given them the victory and everyone had a part to play, whether you were back with the luggage and the supplies or you were on the front lines. And from that day forward, David basically said, this is the rule. Everyone gets a share because everyone has a part to play. Large or small, in the limelight or behind the scenes, it doesn't matter. 
Everyone has a part to play. Everyone. And then the part that I read that we didn't have listed, he sends some stuff to Judah. Kind of on the other side of, you know, the town. They weren't expecting it. But you know what that did? Later on in 2 Samuel, when David actually becomes king, guess who celebrates him as king? Who receives him as king? Who honors him as king? The people of Judah. Do you know why? Because David honored them when he didn't have to. He blessed them when he didn't have to. And so as you and I look towards this season, the Christmas season, we all say it's more blessed to give than receive, but really like the opposite. Right? Yes, that's true. We all say it's more blessed to give than receive, but we all want to receive. I'm happy to give to you, but I want something as well. He gave and blessed others when he didn't have to. He didn't have to. And I'm sure they weren't even expecting it. The people of Judah weren't even expecting David to bless them. And and so as you and I look towards this Christmas season, as we look towards not just this season, but every season, let me encourage you to bless and honor others even when it's not expected. Even when it's not expected. I had someone this week who I helped for about three minutes, helped them accomplish something, and they blessed me greatly. Wasn't big, wasn't some giant thing, but they blessed me. And I said, you, you don't need to, no, you blessed me, so I want to bless you. Man, that, that made my day because I wasn't expecting it. They, they honored me. And so find ways to honor others, to bless others especially when it's not expected. And so these 200 men and their families, what, what a homecoming that was for them, that they got to participate and not be seen as second-class citizens. Think about the people of Judah who were honored and blessed because David blessed them with the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. And so today, even today, Who can you bless? Who can you honor today? Who is it maybe that you need to go out of your way to bless and honor? Because the Lord calls us to that because we find our strength not in ourselves, but in him. That's my prayer for us, that we would find strength in him, that we would honor one another. Let's pray together.